Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's stick with cricket. Adam Crossway's not far away, but it's been a big week of cricket news from our next guest over the last few days. Firstly, he had the story about the second IPL potentially later in 2024, then which test venues are projected to make the most and least money. And today, I really enjoyed this story. I've, I've often wondered this. A really interesting yarn about which states are winning the battle for the baggy green over the last, I think it was 20 years. His name's Dan Bredig. He's the chief cricket writer for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Welcome to Sports Day, Dan. Good to be with you guys. Good, good to have you. Uh, this story today I found just intriguing. There's graphs, there's sort of... Um, that there's numbers and data. Can you take our listeners through exactly what you wrote and what you discovered when you trawled back through the data about which players are playing for Australia and where they're from? Yeah, well, it was basically a, a bit of an experiment in terms of it being 20 years or thereabouts since uh, the late David Hooks made his famous trip about uh, New South Wales players when they got their baggy blue getting a baggy green cap and a brown paper bag, which obviously he made at the time as... Victoria coach, uh, and in reference to a number of Victorian players maybe not getting opportunities that he thought that they should get. Specifically at the time, he was talking about Matthew Winnis, the left-arm swing bowler, uh, not getting picked uh, for a squad for a test match against Zimbabwe um, when uh, Nathan Bracken was picked ahead of him and went on later that summer to make his test debut. And, of course, Matthew Winnis never played a test match for Australia. So it was at that time that the uh, New South Wales... Um, I guess his state production line was very healthy. There were there were a lot of them in the in the test team. If we reflect twenty years later, um, it's it's very much the same thing in terms of the incumbency. And there's you know there's a quite um, you know senior core group of New South Wales players in the Australian test team as it as it stands. But if you look at those twenty years in between, what you see is that the distribution of uh, bag and green caps in particular is actually fairly even between New South Wales and Victoria. Uh, New South Wales have had 20 debutants uh, in that time. Victoria have had 19. But where they um, go separate ways again is in how many test matches those players play. And, of course, we talk about the likes of Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, um, Steve Smith, David Warner, and so on. And those guys have, have uh, combined for the you know a, a huge majority of, of, of appearances in the Australian test team over, over that time. And it's kind of... It, it, it kind of bears out the, the, the long-term um, uh, view that, uh, historically anyway, players from New South Wales have been quite well-rounded. They've had the ability to play spin as well as pace, swing bowling. They've learned to adapt to the bounce on different surfaces. And that obviously helps them when they're playing half their test cricket, which is overseas, particularly in the subcontinent where you've got to, where you've got to deal with spin. So, yeah, 
that's a, that's a bit of it in a nutshell. Dan, did you find any correlation between where the selectors are from and uh, <laughs> where the selection becomes uh, into the team? Oh, it's definitely the um, uh, it's like if you're looking for a correlation there. Obviously, there's some some degree of um, you know where is the cricket that you're that you're watching. Um, and if you're based in Sydney, you're probably watching a lot more um, Shield cricket at the at the SCG. But of course, in the last 20 years, as the as the national selection panel has become more and more professional, obviously you've had selectors travelling around, watching as much cricket as they can wherever it's being played. Um, and uh, and, I, and I think that that's re- reflected in, in in the fact that the that the spread of debuts has been quite broad. But as I say, they're getting a debut for Australia is one thing. And getting a long run in the team is another one, and, and that's where you've got a little bit of a difference in the, in the representations there. So I'm looking at the graph on the Age article now from debutants 03 to 2023. New South Wales have had 775 Test matches. The next best is Queensland 291, then WA 266, Victoria 212, South Australia 198, and Tasmania 103, which sort of which absolutely uh, plays into exactly what you've been saying. We had a, a bit of a conversation briefly via text the other day, Dan. I was just shocked to read this story that potentially the BCCI is looking at having another window for a short-form tournament later in the year. For those who missed it, can you update us on what the story was and what the likelihood is that this actually comes in? Yeah, so this is something that, as uh, cricket journalists, we've sort of had to keep an eye on for basically a decade or more, even since the start of the IPL. So obviously the IPL... Has generally been played in, um, in in March, April, May. It's now expanding a little bit further, um, and, and that's generally not been a bad thing for Australian cricket in terms of the time of year that it's played. It's, you know, it coincides with generally um, there's not a whole lot of touring that the Australian team does in 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 that period. It also doesn't um, doesn't clash or hasn't clashed too much with the I guess you'd say the, the four months of the, of the English season as well, uh, but. All that time, uh, Indian um, uh, IPL owners and broadcasters have looked quite carefully at the September-October period in India, which is often a time, as a lot of uh, your listeners would know, uh, when the Australian cricket team might make a tour of India or there's the World Cup, which we just saw this year. So if there is a, um, an opportunity to put a, you know, an expanded IPL of some form in there, it's very, very good for the Indian market because it's known as the festival season or the holiday season. Uh, a lot of people are off on holidays. There's a lot of festivals on. And so the kinds of um, advertising you can you can uh, generate or the, the advertising revenue you can generate from, from broadcasting cricket at that time of the year um, could be extraordinary. And obviously we know that, the, you know, the, the, the behemoth of Indian cricket is, is such that um, if you're going to schedule some more um, franchise-based uh, cricket in India, you're inevitably going to uh, to hit pay dirt. So uh, the fact that the BCCI are now seriously discussing that and they're looking at doing something as early as next year, because at the moment there's no um, uh, there's no World Cup in that window. There's there's not a great deal of cricket in that window. So it's an opportunity to have a have a first sort of crack at it, because as we know, the, the T20 World Cup next year is in um, is in June July in the Caribbean and the, and the USA. It's yeah, it's, it's a little bit like a land grab because um, you know there's there's some space there next year, but if it becomes an annual tournament, uh, subsequent years are a lot more crowded and uh, things are going to get uh, tricky. In terms of um, 
I guess the, the the other story that you put out um, in terms of the the venues for the test matches, do you think it's fair that Melbourne and Sydney get the two prime spots every year, or do you think it does need to be mixed around? Uh, I te- I tend probably more to the traditionalist view. Like I th- I think that there's something um, like in, in terms of test cricket in particular, there's something very good about consistency and about tradition. People knowing where things are of a given year. The, the challenge for uh, Cricket Australia and the state associations and state governments altogether is to try to create that consistency outside Boxing Day and New Year. And obviously the, the, the third most sought-after slot is the test match that we just saw in Perth, which is the one immediately before Boxing Day, you know, known or, you know, colloquially in some quarters now as the Christmas test match and one that, that Adelaide has had a fair chunk of over the last uh, 10 years or so and, and would like to would like to retain. So the the problem that um, that exists is that apart from those three slots for test matches, the rest of them can move around quite a bit. I mean, if you look at this summer, that was the first test of summer. Other summers, maybe next year against India or the following year against, against England, it might be the third test and you've got two before that. And so not being able to have uh, certainty about the dates of test matches outside those three means that, uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of... Um, uh, bidding and competition going on to to try to try to lock in that um, that mid December slot for the next seven years. Interesting time for international cricket and all cricket really around the world. Thanks for your time, Dan. Really appreciate it. No worries, guys. Uh, Chief cricket writer from the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, Dan Bredick.